Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Here today, again, my name is Trent. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to open it to the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one if you uh, need to borrow it or just have a Bible that you can keep and read and understand. It's our gift. If you are uh, a user of the Bible app, you can open up our uh, your app and find our live event right now, or you can link to it off of social media. That'd be great. 1 John um, chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you're not sure where 1 John is, it's in the very, very back of the Bible. Like coming from the back, you got like maps and then the index and then Revelation and then a couple of really, really one-page letters and then you'll bump into 1 John or you can just use your table of contents. That's fine too. Um, We've been talking about the gospel at Christmas here. Uh, Kyle kicked us off a couple of weeks ago during this Advent season as we lit the candle of hope. And um, what Kyle said about hope is, I think, stuck with a lot of us here that, come on, Trent, hope, there we go, uh, hope is this confidence in the promises of God that is rooted in the work of Christ. Hope is confidence in the promises of God. That's, that's that little faith piece, uh, but the, the, it's in promises, things that are coming, uh, rooted in the work of Christ. And so our response to that, our part in that is to remember what God has said and then trust those things because if God spoke them then, they're going to be true today and they're going to be true tomorrow. If God uh, uh, spoke them over there, wherever over there was, they're going to be true here and now. Uh, So that's hope. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked about the candle of peace. We lit the candle of peace, and this is what we said, that peace is rest in the sovereignty of God, that Jesus is in charge of the world. Peace is rest in the sovereignty of God, again, that is rooted in the work of Christ. So uh, the the fact that um, Jesus has beaten our two biggest foes, sin and death, means he also reigns over everything else. In fact, he said as much after he was resurrected, he gathered his followers, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's just a monster statement right there. Like, nobody's rolling up to your office tomorrow and talking like that. It's just not going to happen. All authority in this office has been given to me. Uh, no, you're not. Go sit down and get to work. So, uh, Jesus, but Jesus can say that because he, he is the sovereign one. He is the king. And he reigns over all of that. And so, our response to that is just to simply recognize That Jesus is the one who's in charge. There's nothing happening in the world today that Jesus isn't in charge of. And then to let that shape our perspective. There are things, there are voices, there are events, there are circumstances. There are uh, 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 things that are inside of us, things external to us that would want to shape our perspective. Good news, Jesus is in charge and we can let that shape our perspective. So uh, those were the two that we've covered so far. And last week we talked about the least Christmassy verse. I just wanted to bring up uh, last Christmas verse of all time that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's a good Christmas verse right there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Anybody get anybody have any snake crushing this week? We're like, oh yeah, I see, I see what you're doing, God. You're crushing some snakes. That's good stuff. Uh, this this week. Um, we're talking about the candle of joy. And I've, I've uh, done some reading, done some research, trying to figure out why the candle of joy is a different color. And uh, basically nobody knows. I have a working theory. The working theory is this. Hope is something that you can hold on to and maybe even uh, kind of uh, um, like grasp, contain, and, and, and work with. Uh, 
peace is the same way. It's something that, that is, can be kind of an attribute inside of you, something that resides in you. The last candle is the candle of love. Similarly, love can reside in you, and you can use that and work with it. Joy, though, is much more elusive than that. Because uh, with joy, uh, joy is actually a byproduct of satisfaction. As I described it, a byproduct of satisfaction in God because of the work of Jesus. So the, it's a byproduct. So the moment that I quit enjoying God, or no, the moment that I quit being satisfied in God, my joy goes away. Like when I focus on the joy, it actually goes away. The focus is on the satisfaction in God and what God has done for us in Jesus. And joy is the byproduct of that. So our response to that goes something like this. That we would have a clear view of who God is. That's what we're going to talk about today. And we would then keep a steady gaze on who God is. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 16 verse 8. I have set the Lord. I have set the Lord always before me. How often? Always. I've set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. He goes on a couple verses later to say, And Lord, it is in your presence that is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that's that's who we want to be. We want to be a people who set the Lord always before us. And then see uh, joy be the byproduct of our lives that is effusive and flows out of us to others and so on. So. First John chapter one, verse one, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a wordy passage, kind of complicated. I really just want to pick out five words as we work our way through it. Verse one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have touched. We've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you. Why? So that your joy, our joy, may be complete. So, five words. You ready? Here's, we're talking about the gospel at Christmas time, and here's where I want to start. I want to start where John starts in his letter, um, at the beginning. Let's talk about the word beginning. And this is what he says. That which was from the beginning. That which is from the beginning. So I say that to say this, that Jesus has always been and always will be, which if you've grew up around church, I'm not sure that you uh, uh, would say anything other than, oh yeah, of course that's true. Like Jesus always been, always will be. Uh, but for some, I think that's a pretty substantial um, claim and statement. When the people come knocking on your door uh, and say, hey, we got some literature we'd like to share with you. Like that is a pretty substantial difference between people who follow Jesus and the folks knocking on the door uh, that Jesus has always been and always will be. There are plenty of people in my life um, that I engage outside of these four walls, uh, engage over conversations, uh, uh, coffee or soccer practice or over lunch or whatever, and, and they love the earthly version of Jesus, but they do not like his eternal nature. Earthly version of Jesus says some stuff like, hey, love your enemies, uh, be nice to one another, love your neighbor, that kind of stuff. And everybody goes, oh man, that's pretty good. Jesus seems pretty, like a pretty smart fellow, right? But the eternal, that's the earthly side of that. The eternal side of that, though, means that he always has been, he is today, and he always will be. And that lays a claim on my life. They don't like that part. 
And if you grew up around church, maybe that's not your thing. If you didn't grow up around church, maybe that was a struggle for you. But if you grew up around church, maybe your uh, expression of Jesus has always been and always will be would go something like this. Uh, Man, I really like what Jesus says, but I'm not so sure I'm down with the work of Christ and what he's done. Again, teaching ministry, fantastic. Man, you said some smart things. That whole dying on a cross thing, that seems a little messed up. The baby in a manger becomes the savior on a bloody stick. Like, is that really where this goes? Because it's, it's that savior who's dying there. That, that Again, it, it, it has a claim on me. It says some things about me that I am in need of that. But maybe it's flip-flop for you. Maybe if you grew up around church, you like him dying on the cross. You like his work. You just don't like what he says. Hey, Jesus, thanks so much for dying on the cross. Forgive me of my sin. Uh, Promise to have heaven when I die. Thanks so much. I'm going to keep doing all the things that I want to do and never mind all the things that you said are best to do. I'll just trust you to keep forgiving me and I'll just go live how I want to live. What I'm saying to you is because Jesus has always been and always will be, that should root us in some way and, and, and humble us in some way and at the same time give a profound sense of security. Why? Because we are a part of his story before he becomes a part of ours. We, we are a part of his story before he becomes a part of ours. Now, you've got some teenagers sitting down front here. I just pause and ask you teenagers this question. Um, think back to your earliest possible memory. Not of being a teenager. Not of this morning, but like your earliest possible memory. Can you think? You don't have to tell us what it is because that may be embarrassing. But like, how old were you, give or take? You were three, Daniel? Three? Two? Three? Four? Anybody? Do I hear four? Five. Five. Okay, yeah, you don't have a good memory. That's cool. That's good. That's good. I'm saying all that to say, if we brought your parents up here and you started telling that memory, your parents would go, oh yeah, I remember that. But did you know before then, and they would offload all of this stuff about you, embarrassing you, that time that you did this and that time you did that, blah, 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 blah. I was at a funeral yesterday. Grandkid got up, talked about his grandmother. Oh, I remember... Uh, my favorite memory, or my first memory of, of being in her house was walking around her house, banging her uh, pots uh, with a wooden spoon. And some of you are grandparents, like, oh, that sounds just fantastic. For me, that sounds like, where is the Advil? Um, but I mean, he, that kid was walking around, right? Banging pots. Like, there was some coordination involved. I don't know, two and a half, three, whatever it was. Like, there was a lot of years before then. So with Jesus, listen, we are a part of his story long before he becomes a part of ours. Meaning like before we have a recognition that Jesus is at work in our lives, he has been doing some stuff. That ought to humble us, that ought to root us, and listen, that ought to provide a profound sense of joy. Why? Because if Jesus was working before we recognized him, Jesus is at work when we don't recognize him, and Jesus will be at work tomorrow when we're not sure if he can. I don't know about you. It just, I I look in my own life. I've got problems that are pretty substantial. Anybody? I got some challenges that are pretty weighty. I need a God who was and who is and who is to come, who can handle that. I look at the world and I think, huh, 
this place is pretty screwed up. So what do we need? A God who was, and who is, and who is to come. That which was from the beginning. I just point you here. Um, the, the book of First John is written by John, as you can imagine. He also wrote a gospel. So I just want you to back up. Um, it, it won't pop up on the screen. We'll do uh, a little bit more on the screen here in just a second. I think it's in the Bible app, but if not, uh, you just listen along. But this is John chapter 1. If you have a Bible, flip over there to John chapter 1. We're going to come back to this passage in just a second. But John chapter 1, I just want you to look at the first three verses or so of John 1. So first John 1 we read. Here's John 1. In the beginning, there, there it is again. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not know what to do with it. It does not overcome it. So here here we've got John testifying twice at the beginning of his gospel and at the beginning of his letter to say Jesus has always been, and he always will be, that we are a part of his story and what he's doing in the world long before we recognize that he is a part of ours, before he becomes a part of ours. That's word number one, and that should bring us joy. There is a God in the universe who is from the beginning. He is big enough and been around enough, long enough to handle the stuff that's going on. Okay. Second word, that which is from the beginning, back in 1 John 1, that was, was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have heard. Here's what I want to know, heard. There, there, this is the thing, there's always been a sound to God, and I love that about him, like there's always been a sound. In Genesis 3, there was a sound of him walking in the garden. One of the favorite uh, uh, things for the prophets to talk about is that the Lord came and his sound was like rushing waters. Isn't that a cool thing? Like, here comes God. How do you know he's coming? I hear rushing waters. Um, In the Psalms, one of their big things is, uh, the Lord of glory comes and he thunders. That's awesome. Just amazing to me. There's always been a sound associated with God. That's not really what John's getting at. John is getting at this sense that God has now spoken. Because, again, look what he says. Uh, We've seen, excuse me, that which from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, looked upon, touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it, testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life with the Father, and has made manifest to us. He's talking about the promises that he has made and the fulfillment of those promises. The reason why we highlight this on the path to joy is because when you have someone who makes a promise and then keeps that promise, that is a source of joy for you. Are you with me on that? And some of you know the pain of broken promises and some of you know the joy of promises kept. And so the the power in keeping a promise, the power of saying uh, your yes being yes is that it produces joy in those that you communicate to. So here's God. I think we did this the past two weeks. Uh, we're going to do it this week. This Genesis chapter 3. Maybe I'll try to figure out how to work it in next week. Genesis 3. Very first promise of God to send the Messiah. I will put enmity, the hatred, strife between you, the Satan, the serpent, uh, and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will shall crush your head. Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord the, the, uh, of all things, who's the snake crusher. He will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, this one from the prophets. This is a famous one uh, from Isaiah. Uh, Handel put it in the Messiah. It's so great. Uh, for, uh, to us, a child is born. 
Lord. And to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Like he is going to be able to carry the weight of ruling this joint. And his name shall be called. Let's just say these together. This is just three, four beautiful names of the Messiah for us. And his name shall be called, here we go, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I love that. This wonderful counselor, he's going to be smart enough. He's going to have enough snap to figure out how to make this thing go like it's supposed to go. He is going also to have the strength to actually do it, the mighty God. But he's not going to do so with an iron fist and I'm just from the top rope, WWE move. He is going to be our everlasting father. We've had people walk out on us before. But not him. He's the everlasting father. And he is going to be called the prince of peace. The one who rules with a sense of well-being and wholeness for everybody. That's such good news. That is who the Messiah is. That is who God sent. And that's what he promised in Isaiah. Last one. Uh, he promised even this to the shepherds there in the fields. Uh, the darkness is there. The angel shows up, speaks to the shepherds. They're trying to figure out what in the world's going on. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He wasn't a Savior. Oh, yes, he was. He was a baby, but he was a Savior. A Savior who is Christ the Messiah, the Lord. Christ means Messiah. The, the one who God has sent this one. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, echoing another uh, passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. It will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And the shepherds are like, oh, well, that's an interesting bit. I think I'll tweet that. No, no, no. What did they do? They dropped everything. Hey, you sheep, stay right here. They go running into Bethlehem, trying to figure out where's what's going on. Oh, look, a baby. Oh, this must be the Messiah. He is Christ the Lord. The angel showed up, and that's what he told us. So, God promises these things. And what does he do? He fulfills these promises. And a promise fulfilled is this source of joy for us. Okay, so back to 1 John. That which was from the beginning. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. That's the third one. Seen with our eyes. The reason that's important is because we are spiritually blind um, without his light. Now, um, I told you I was at a funeral. I was out of town. Stayed with some friends of ours who were there. Uh, uh, slept in one of their guest rooms. Anybody ever slept in somebody's guest room and you had to get up in the middle of the night to do any number of things? And you're like, where am I and what is going on? It's completely dark. I have no idea. I'm not talking about like walking through your own living room in the middle of the night. You've got that. You can navigate that. I'm talking about waking up and you're like, nothing is the same, you know? They had blackout shades on there. So, I mean, it is dark in this room. And I'm like, what is happening here? That's who we are apart from Jesus. We are spiritually blind apart from him. We, we, we cannot see to navigate. Without his light, we would, we would not see. And I, um, it says there, that little bullet underneath. I'll take this before we turn back to the first chapter of John. And we would never see him. We would never see him if he didn't show himself to us. We, we might make him up, but we'd never see him for who he actually is. And so, what do you mean make him up? Like, like we would have a God of our own creation. A God who is so distant, he doesn't care about our lives right now, our actual life. A God who is so future-oriented that all he cares about is us getting to heaven, but he doesn't actually care about our Monday. 
Or maybe a God who's so much like us, who thinks like us, believes like us, uh, votes like us, uh, uh, posts like us, laughs like us, all those kind of things, that when we actually encounter a problem that's bigger than us, he's incapable of helping. Those are the kinds of gods that we make up on our own. Those are the kinds of God that exist in spiritual blindness. But when um, in that profound hymn that's based on the story from John 9, we once were blind, but now what? We see there's joy that comes out of that, the, the, the joy of having spiritual sight. And so I just want to flip back for a moment to the, the uh, first chapter of John again, back in the gospel we're going to turn uh, to a different part of John in just a minute. But this is John chapter 1 again. You ready? Verse 14. John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh. That's Jesus. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. There it is. We've seen his glory. And what did that glory look like? It looked like Jesus. You want to know what God looks like? He looks like Jesus. We've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, and he is chock full of something. What's he chock full of? Grace and truth. Both. Not one or the other. Grace and truth. John bore witness about him, he says. He cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That's that beginning part. God always has been. Jesus always has been. Verse 16. For from his fullness we've all received in grace upon grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him known. So if we spiritually see, we spiritually connect with who God is because uh, of Jesus. And, and this joy comes out of us as a result. I, like, I mentioned again one more time, I was at this funeral yesterday, um, there's about 500 people here celebrating uh, this lady's life. And they, it was awesome. They sang these old, uh, like, 90s worship songs. Throwback. Anybody, if I say the name Dennis Jernigan, does anybody go like, oh, yeah, glory, yes, yes. Uh, Dennis Jernigan songs and stuff. And so people are singing, and I'll be dang. These 500 people stood up and sang like they meant it. it, it I'm over here on the side just trying to kind of hold my life together and, uh, as we celebrate and remember and all this kind of stuff. And they just kept singing like they meant it. And on and on, people would say, and people would sing, and people would testify, people. They just kept singing like they meant it. And here's what they would say. Hey, you know, today, today she sees face to face. Oh, that's good stuff right there. Spiritual blindness is gone. The partiality uh, that we can see with today is gone. And now she sees it face to face. That's a source of joy even in the midst of grief. That, that's a sense of, of what being satisfied in who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. Even in the midst of grief. Seeing. First John 1. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, looked upon, and which we have touched. There's another word. Touched. Touch with our hands concerning the word of life. Touch with our hands. I got to thinking about this this week. Um, John has another story about a really profound moment when somebody wanted to touch Jesus. It's an invitation to believe. So in John chapter 20, verse 24, 
Listen to what happens. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. He wasn't with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas was like, oh, that's awesome. He gives high fives to everybody like, man, I can't wait to see him. That's not what happened. But he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see his hands, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and listen, place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side. What's he saying? Unless I touch him, I won't believe. Eight days later, his disciples, Jesus' disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus showed up because, you know, we, you don't keep him out. Jesus came, stood among them, said, peace be with you. <laughs> what a funny thing. I just, What's up, boys? I mean, what do you, that's funny to me. I don't know why. Verse 27, he said to Thomas, hey, that touching thing, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to believe. And that's critical today. Why? Because um, he is not afraid of your questions and your doubts. He's from the beginning. He's big enough to handle the problems of the world. He has spoken and fulfilled his promises. You and I get to see him because he makes himself known. And ultimately, he invites us to believe. He invites us to touch him. Like, come on, man. You need, you need some stuff? I got it right here. Just put your hands out. It's an invitation to believe. Listen to me, church family. He is not afraid of your questions and of your doubts. He's not. And everybody that you sit with, everybody who's coming over for Christmas, that crazy neighbor with the yippy dog, he's not afraid of their questions or doubts either. It's an invitation to believe. Uh, I just note here before we go to the last word, it, the, the, in, the, the progress, it just, it just gets clearer. Like every step makes it a little bit clearer. He was the, from the beginning, and then you hear him, and then you see him, and then you touch him and are touched by him. I mean, that's, you just clearer, the clarity just increases as you walk through this. But also, listen, it is not only increasingly clear, it's also increasingly personal. And it demands a kind of personal response. And let me just demonstrate this. Uh, sometime this week, I don't remember exactly which day it was, uh, we have some guys who work for the city of Webster, and I'm sitting in one of their offices. Uh, I show up, and I look at their receptionist lady, who at this point knows me, but I, I just roll up on her. I'm like, I'm here to cause trouble and drink coffee. I'm all out of coffee. And she's like, I'll call them. That's fine. So I go upstairs and visit with them. I'm sitting there in the office, and I'm just having a very pleasant conversation. One of the other guys that I know goes to our church from the back goes, I'd recognize that balding head anywhere. <laughs> so my back is to the door, and I kind of swivel in this chair, and I look, and there he is. He's coming in. I get up, shake his hand. He hugs my neck. How you doing? We have a conversation. So I'm sitting there having a conversation, right? He is from the beginning. And he speaks and is heard. Bald head. 
I turn around and I see him. He comes in with a handshake and embrace. It is increasingly clear who he is, right? But listen, it's increasingly personal. It's increasingly personal. There's a there's a relationship there. And that, that's what John points to. The, the fellowship is with one another. And our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son. If you're going to get this, you have to get this. That the reason why he who was from the beginning steps into our world with a promise that is heard and an and a, a appearance that is seen and a willingness to engage at the level of even touch is because he wants you to be in relationship with him. Not a religion, not a moment even. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. That's his greatest desire. And if you're here this morning, you're not sure about that. I mean, we'd love to further that conversation with you and further your understanding about that. Because he who was from the beginning has spoken and you've heard him. He has shown up and you've seen him. And he has reached out. Such. So last thing. Because it's, it's not quite done yet. We're not quite through the passage. Verse 3. That which we've seen heard, we proclaim also to you. There's the word. Proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things to you. So that our joy may be complete. And I would say it this way. That your joy isn't full. Until your story is told. That's what he says here. The the, the fullness of joy doesn't happen until the story gets told. Now you know this. You know this. And here's how I know you know this. How many of you have seen engagement pictures pop up on social media? Raise your hand real high. We're all happy for people who do this. The most amazing thing to me, and it is profound, it is awesome, it's incredible. Every female strikes the same pose. It's gorgeous. I mean, it is stunning to me. It is beautiful. It's wonderful. I'm not making fun. I'm just profoundly affected that every female strikes the same pose. So you you have a moment there where, oh, you go to dinner at the nice place, and you walk down the path, and you think, oh, there are roses here. That's weird. Oh, there's candles. Oh, a guy with a guitar and a violin. That's strange that they're out here, right? And she turns around, and the guy's on one knee. Honey, would you marry me? And every person, every female, what's the pose? What is it? Oh! It's like the girl's school that y'all went to to learn to braid hair and do all the other awesome girl things that you do. Like, that was the, that was the last thing. That was your final. Like, when you get engaged, what's the pose? Oh! I mean, it's just amazing. Every one of you. <laughs> And after that moment, there are two things that happen. Their friends show up, all this kind of stuff. Their friends show up and they say, oh, let me see the ring. Oh, there it is, there it is, right there. Picture, picture, picture. Can I touch it? And then, then, after the ring question is the second question. What's the question? How did he ask you? Oh, well, we went out to dinner. It's an Italian place. It was so nice. Walking down a path. All of a sudden, there's roses. Didn't understand that. Oh, there's candles. A guy on a violin. Angels were singing. It was amazing. I turned around. He popped a question, and I was like, oh! Every person. I mean, that's just how our, our world works. 
It's how it works. Can you imagine going through the thing, okay? Italian restaurant, path, roses, candles, violin, guitar, angels, whatever. And then saying to the girl, hey, look, you can't tell that story. What? What? Like, part of the gift of that moment is you get to tell the story. In, in fact, like, you might even say, like, it can't be contained inside of me. Part of the gift of what God has done for us is something that cannot be contained inside of us. So I just want to rehearse this very quickly. Here's the gospel. You and I are guilty of sin and broken by the consequences of it. Our lives are wrecks apart from who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And because we've sinned, we are separated from God, who is a holy God. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He will deal, he will deal with us on that level. He will. But what he wants to do is what he did at Christmas time. The baby in a manger became the Savior on a bloody cross. He sent a sacrifice. Jesus lived perfectly and died sacrificially in our place and for our sins rose again on the third day. And so when somebody dies in your place and for your sins and rises again on the third day, you know what you do? You surrender to him. You give your life over to him. And then, because that story is in operation in you, you have the moment where you're sent out with that story. We, as a church family, are a family of missionaries to our worlds, whatever they may be. That's, that's the story. And so the, the invitation today is we'll, we'll close in just a moment. But I just want to give you a little bit of space to, to pause, to, to reflect, to think, to question, to pray over, whatever. There'll be some questions that pop up on the screen. If you want to take a picture of them, that's fine. You just want to sit with them, that's fine too. Frank's going to come up and lead us in a song. If you want to stand and sing, do it. Do it. It's a song we've been doing uh, for the past several weeks during Advent. If you, if you want to just sit and think about these things, do it. If you need prayer, we're here this morning and want to pray with you. Maybe you need to just put some things before God. You can come to these stairs or all over on the sides, whatever, and just have a moment, some sacred space to do so. We're going to have some time where we pause and give you space to figure out what is your best response. Let me pray, and then we'll get going.